KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. From KYW News Radio 1039 FM, this is Flashpoint. Shining light on the issues that matter to you in Philadelphia. Presented by the Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. What's up, everybody? I'm Jay Scott Smith. And this week on Flashpoint, it was a resounding primary victory for Philadelphia District Attorney Larry Krasner. But what does it really mean? Can you really consider that a mandate? Yes. The balance between police reform and safety is in focus as summer approaches and violence continues to rage on the Philly streets. We need to be able to depend on the police and the district attorney's office to do their job. In Philadelphia, elected officials leave office in one or two ways. They die or they get indicted. And we highlight a woman fighting to make sure the story of her block isn't one about violence. I've been called ward leader, a committee person, but actually I'm just a homeowner that cares. This is a half hour you need to hear, and it's coming up on Flashpoint. With violent crimes surging and elections some people thought might be a reckoning, turn into a resounding victory for Philadelphia District Attorney Larry Krasner over his primary challenger, the former homicide prosecutor Carlos Vega. So what comes next? And how does the city balance safety and fairness? Plus, what does District Attorney Krasner make of his opponent in the general election, Republican Chuck Peruto? KYW News Radio's Sheridan Howard caught up with Krasner this week to talk about this. In your victory speech, you spoke of a mandate. But if only 17% of Philadelphians really voted, can you really consider that a mandate? Yes, it's a mandate. And last time I checked, it was closer to 19, maybe headed for 20%. This is an off-cycle election where the top of the ticket is not a U.S. senator, it's not the president of the United States. Top of the ticket is the district attorney and the city controller. And there have been sites before we began running where the turnout was 9% or it was 12%. What do you think that mandate is? Well, the mandate very clearly at this point is for what we have offered, and that is a combination of a focus on the most serious crime and reform. Most importantly, reform in terms of reducing the number of people in jail, reducing the number of people on excessively lengthy periods of supervision with probation and parole, protecting immigrants, protecting workers who sometimes have crimes committed against them by their employers, you know, protecting sex workers so that they're in a position where they can call the police and they can go to the police to be protected. In 2021, we saw two major trends. The first are rising in homicides and also the lowest number of prosecutions. So what do you say to those Philadelphians who ask, what are you doing for us now in our neighborhoods to stop the violence? Well, we're going to do the work. We actually have an extremely high conviction rate for the cases that are brought to us by the police. And we charge almost all of the cases that are brought to us by the police. Police historically have had a bad time in Philly solving shootings. Uh, on average, they only saw about two out of 10. The pandemic made it worse for reasons I think we all understand. So at times it was one out of 10. Uh, and that's 20% below the national average. So what we have to do in our zone, meaning the DA's office within our four walls with our limited budget, is we have to be good at prosecuting, and we are good at prosecuting. But what we also have to do is we have to work with the other criminal justice players so that we can support them and help them to do their jobs better, collaborate with them in new ways. And so we have taken it on ourselves to uh, work as closely as we can with the Philadelphia Police Department to try to help them improve their rate of solving these cases. Some of that's about building community trust. Some of it's about forensics that are underfunded and always have been. Philadelphians are looking to city leaders to get the guns off the street and stop the violence. What's the next innovative step here? We need to invest in pre 
prevention. We need to do it in ways that have been successful in places like L.A. and Chicago, and we need to take it seriously for a change. This old politics that is all about fear, this old politics that is all about, you know, Frank Rizzo and, and the tough cookie and similar nonsense is over. We need to have real solutions, not just coming out of a pandemic, but real solutions that will stop Philly from being what it has been my entire career as a lawyer, and that's 33 years, which is a chronically violent city, the poorest of the 10 largest cities, and those two things are closely connected with our criminal justice policy. So in many respects, you're considered an innovator, someone who takes risks. But some things worked and some things just didn't. What are you going to do differently this time around? To some extent, our task is to just keep grinding away on the things that we believe are positive and successful. Where we've had more institutional resistance, for example, we tried to do more with probation and parole, but we are not all-powerful. Judges have a lot of power. And the probation and parole department pushed back on a lot of things we were trying to do in the most oversupervised city. To understand that when I came into office, we had 40,000 people on probation and parole in Philadelphia. New York City, all five boroughs had 12,000. You know, I just got off the phone setting up a meeting with people from probation and parole. And there's some new leadership there. So I'm hopeful that in our next term that we may have better success and sensible policies around probation and parole. I'm going to ask you one more time, what can we do, what are you planning to do today, right now, that can help some of these parents feel safe knowing that their children are out there just trying to go to school and trying to get to work? Well, what we are doing right now, because we um, have made improving the situation of victims and survivors the top priority in the office, is we have a very substantially expanded staff of people who work with survivors, co-victims, and victims of shootings. It's, this is under something known as the CARES, C-A-R-E-S, program. We have 12 people around the city who've experienced homicides in their lives and have elaborate training and who are supposed to go immediately to the family as soon as there has been a killing, uh, and in many cases, a shooting, to provide all sorts of specialized services for the first 45 days uh, at which time they would be turned over to what has always existed in the DA's office, which is the victim-witness coordinators who will accompany them through the rest of the process. That's something we do right now. You know, we, we scramble the jets when we have these these terrible situations. And, um, what do you say to those people who say, we have a crisis here in the streets of Philadelphia. It's easier for a kid to get a gun than it is for them to get a book. What do you say to that? See, it is a terrible challenge in Pennsylvania because our legislature loves guns. And, it, you know, in the same way Indiana became the source for the guns that are used on the streets in Chicago, uh, Pennsylvania and Philadelphia have become a source for the guns that are used in New Jersey and in New York, where they have more sensible gun regulation. It's a very serious problem. The, the latest atrocity is these ghost guns, which are mostly plastic and they're made by, you know, in simple kits in the basement. You don't even have to show ID. We are seeing a doubling of the number of ghost guns involved in crimes year after year in the last couple of years, where there should have been laws to make it illegal to sell the kits in the first place. My office, in fact, has drafted a law that we have given to State Senator Sharif Street, and we are once again up against the legislature that won't even present it for a vote. So how do you offset that particular work being done on the Republican end? Well, to some extent, we just did. I mean, we, you know, we had national experts who didn't believe we would have more than 120,000 votes in Philly, which still would have been better than the battle days. And we had 200,000 votes, you know, to some extent. We just did because voting is habitual. And in the same way that Stacey Abrams brilliantly, two-year cycle after two-year cycle, grew that base of voters until Georgia 
you know, became the darling of uh, Democrats all across the country. That is possible here. Philly and Pittsburgh are both quite progressive. Uh, Philly is more diverse, but they're both diverse. If they can keep turning out growing numbers of people who are engaged in politics, they're going to vote because they believe in what the candidates are talking about. We can change all of this. Philly and Pittsburgh alone. And run the show. Now that the primary is behind you and you had a resounding win over Carlos Vega, what are your thoughts on your general election opponent, Chuck Peruto? Do you consider him a threat? Do you consider him a real contender? No. I mean, I don't. And I don't say that to be unkind. I've known Chuck Peruto for for many years. I have, I have no personal dislike for him. But, you know, even if he were a far more qualified, far more interesting candidate whose words and whose life didn't make him impossible to win. The fact is this city is, has seven Democrats for every one Republican. You know, I mean, if, if you even look at the election results, what you'll see is strangely large numbers of people in the Republican Party wrote in a candidate rather than vote for, for Mr. Peruto. I mean, it's remarkable. He, he garnered, I think, only about 10,000 votes, but he had 500 write-ins. How did that happen? So, no, I don't, I, I don't take it seriously. And again, I don't want to be discourteous or, or impolite, but anybody who's familiar with how he, how he has lived his life, much of it heavily reported, is aware that we are not dealing with a serious issue. The, the first term of three and a half years is over, and the second term of four and a half years is starting right now. That was Philadelphia District Attorney Larry Krasner with KYW News Radio's Sherrod A. Howard. Now, we asked Republican challenger Chuck Peruto to respond to what the district attorney had to say about him. Well, I can't say that I'm shocked over this because I've been hearing mumblings from his camp that he was saying these things. And I can only tell you that there wasn't a scintilla of evidence that I had anything to do with Julia Law's death as I was 80 miles away. But I understand that Larry truly believes in the presumption of innocence like hell. Larry cares more about people who are convicted by a jury and getting them out of jail than conducting anything about my life in a fair fashion. Now, we should also note that neither we nor Mr. Krasner specifically referred to the case of Julia Law, the woman who was found dead in Peruto's home in 2013. In the interest of fairness, we've invited Mr. Peruto to be a guest on a future episode of Flashpoint. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Register today at DonorsOne.org. This is Flashpoint from KYW News Radio, 1039 FM. District Attorney Larry Krasner called his win a mandate for police reform, and he spoke repeatedly about the need to invest in prevention. But with the city on pace for a record number of homicides, so many people are asking what's next and what now. And joining us to discuss this flashpoint are Ruben Jones, a social justice advocate and founder of the organization Frontline Dads. And we're also joined by Julio Moran Jr. So, Ruben, your organization's deeply involved in the type of prevention work that the district attorney is focused on and we heard during the interview. We certainly need more long-term investment in those programs, but we're also dealing with an acute crisis right now with the number of shootings and killings happening, happening here in the city of Philadelphia. Yes. Seeing the outcome of this election, what does that tell you about the kind of leadership that Philadelphians want? I think it speaks volumes to um, the fact that people don't believe that we can arrest our way out of this problem, that we can incarcerate our way out of this problem. 
or do we can legislate our way out of this problem? So there are a lot of communities who are full of hurting, neglected uh, people who have been denied access to resources, some very basic resources like food, adequate shelter, quality schooling, but some along the lines of mental health uh, treatment. Um, so I think that the, the people spoke loudly that uh, Mr. Krasner's opponent would, was trying to welcome in or usher in an era, which is a throwback to the Rizzo era or the Lynn Abraham era, tough on crime and and locking everyone up. And we, we've seen where that's gotten us. It's contributed to mass incarceration tremendously. Um, it's bled our financial resources and has left communities feeling still unsafe. So I think that um, to invest in those communities, create avenues for healing um, is the proper way to go. Now, Julio, your mother was murdered by her ex-husband in Northeast Philadelphia. Now, there were prior incidents in terms of domestic abuse, and there was an arrest warrant that was sitting with the DA's office before it was approved. Larry Krasner says he's there for the victims. But what does your experience tell you? Well, I think, uh, you know, Mr. Krasner's office um, in a lot of ways is creating this problem. Uh, you know, yeah, you, you can't arrest your way out of these issues, but that doesn't mean um, that you have to stop making arrests and focus all of your attention elsewhere. We do need someone who is going to be uh, at least firm with crime. If you don't want to use the word tough, uh, you know, we, we, need, we need a prosecutor that's going to take the job seriously and recognize the dangers that exist here. These dangers are never going to go away. Uh, you're not going to arrest your way out of these dangers, but you, we do have uh, to, you know, uh, provide a solution and uh, part of that is, is, you know, using the office of the district attorney for what it was meant to be. I want to pose this question to both of you, and I'll start with Ruben. Is there something that city leaders, including the district attorney, and we can also look at the mayor, we can look at the city council, look at the police chief. Is there something that could be differently done in order to combat this epidemic of gun violence? Because right now we're at least up 40 percent in terms of homicides. There's a different story every night. Every day when I'm on air anchoring, I've had numerous instances where we get a story that comes in just out of nowhere. Teenager shot, a baby girl shot. What do you think city leaders could do to help further combat this? I'll start with you first, Ruben. Well, first, let me start by saying I want to give my heartfelt condolences to Julio and his family. Um, What happened to your mother shouldn't have happened, and it's a tragedy. And I think we both want the same thing, which is a safer Philadelphia. I think we want to see all our loved ones come home at the end of the day and be protected from people like the person who took your mother's life. So um, I'm sorry that something like that happened to you. And I hope that there's a way we can forge a relationship to work together moving forward to prevent that from happening to other families. Um, in terms of your question regarding what can city elected officials do, I think the first thing they have to do is be on the same page. Right now, I see a lot of finger pointing as if we're on a, a schoolyard playground um, and I don't think that's a good look for executive leadership. And we're going to start with a couple of things. One is, you know, gun legislation. We've I've, I've saw I've seen President Obama cry on national television uh, because of the census murder of children. And we still haven't been able to get any sensible gun legislation passed. 
So at some point, we have to take away this power from the NRA and say our families and children communities are more important. Number two, many of these communities that we see the escalation of violence in have been neglected for years. And when I say neglected, I mean lack of resources. We have a school district that's, you know, literally just in, in disarray. We don't have adequate housing, uh, safe streets for, for anyone. So these communities have been harmed in ways that are unimaginable. And that harm has to be repaired through city government by making resources readily available to these groups. And then the next thing is, and, and, and just to be blunt, we need new leadership. Some of our leaders who've been elected to hold office in the city are not fit to hold the office they've been elected to. They Many of them have turned a blind eye to the catastrophes, catastrophes that have happened. Many of them continue to pander to their um, voting block or to the folks who financially support them. And many of them have forgotten where they even come from. And it's time for us to return to real leadership led by community folk who have a vested interest in improving their own neighborhoods. We'll come back to that point you just made in a second. But Julio, how about you? What is it that you feel that city leaders could do to help combat this epidemic of gun violence here in Philadelphia? We do need a a reshifting of focus uh, among our leaders. And uh, people need to understand that part of uh, enforcing the law is a a way to is prevention is a way to prevent further gun violence. When law enforcement refuses to act, uh, when our our leaders uh, refuse to have our backs, uh, then where do you go? What do you do? It only exacerbates the issues. Uh, we need to be able to depend on law enforcement. We need to be able to depend on the police and the district attorney's office to do their job. Now, Ruben, you made a point there that you said that it seems like some of the elected officials forgot where they came from and have gotten a little I mean, You're pretty much you're telling me they're getting a little bit too comfortable in there. Is there anyone in particular you're referring to when you say that? Yeah, I mean, I guess you want me to call names, but I'll say this, that Here's the reality. In Philadelphia, elected officials leave office in one of two ways. They die or they get indicted. It's very hard to um, to beat an incumbent, right? So once you get elected, you basically have a job for life in the city, or at least until you don't want to do it anymore. You're in there, basically. So we have a second-term mayor, right, who's gone on television saying that we have a, a public health crisis with gun violence, but you've yet to allocate any um, sufficient resources. So let's talk about the grants that you gave out to community groups, the money you put into the uh, the gun violence, Office of Gun Violence Prevention. These are city offices, direct departments. These are city offices. So you're, you're fooling the public saying we're putting all this money into gun violence prevention when the reality is you just continue to fund city offices that have been not that sufficient in, in addressing this problem. And it's not just about money. We need a shift in culture um, and fell off. We believe uh, Mr. Julio just said that, you know, he, he alluded to you can't trust the police. I read the report. I read that, you know, as much as I could read about his mother and to find out that she made took every step that she could to protect herself. She took every step that she could as a law abiding citizen. She took every step she could as a vulnerable woman who was in harm's way. And the police sat on it and didn't give the adequate information to the district attorney's office, who then couldn't necessarily file the appropriate charges. So I'm not pointing fingers and, and leaving anyone out. 
But when we have that process where a citizen, a law-abiding citizen took every step that they were urged to take and instructed to take, and the result is still ends up tragic and with, with their death, with their demise, and people are sitting on their hands and pointing fingers, I think that's a tragedy in itself. So those are the things that we have to change. Ruben just alluded to it, and I should say her name, by the way. Her name is Gladys Coriano. And, and I'm sorry for not saying her no, name. No, I, I, I made that mistake at the beginning, too. Her name is Gladys that's Coriano. Okay. She lost her life, and there had been the issues prior with, as you mentioned, mental health was one thing that Ruben talked about. Domestic violence issues are another thing. And it's been something we've seen at a lot of different places around the country where domestic violence issues seem to always fall through the cracks like that. Julio, when you yeah. when you think of the story of what happened to your mom, and obviously with women who are, and, and even some men or children who are in violence, uh, violence at home, domestic violence situations such as this, what is the role of the district attorney's office specifically in helping to reduce cr- and prevent crimes, prevent issues of what happened to your mother? I just want to say that uh, this would have never have been an issue of domestic violence uh, if uh, the if our law enforcement didn't take my mother's case and make it uh, an issue of their uh, ineptitude, uh, incompetence, and their code of conduct. Okay, uh, this this my mother's file. Okay, is about a hundred pages long. There there was no excuse, not from the police and not from the district attorney, uh, for what happened to my mother. They. Uh, explicitly ignored my mother with impunity and they just allowed this atrocity to happen. Okay. And this miscommunication between the DAO and the police, the, it goes both ways. What, what I see from my experience is uh, an uncooperation between the two forces uh, where they're just throwing bombs at each other and they're just trying to play past the ball uh, until someone drops the ball and makes them look bad. That's that's this is the game that they're playing with people's lives in this city, and it needs to stop. This thing just fall through the cracks. This this went through a gaping hole uh, caused by this this uh, this you know uh, bad poor relationship. And you know, as far as our elected officials go, they don't really care about uh, the people or the victims in this city. I've been in this city for my whole life here, and I could never have imagined to be betrayed by the city the way I have. Not only by by our elected officials and, and our law enforcement, but by the community as well. Uh, by by people in in this city who who will turn and say. Oh, well, yeah, this is just a case of domestic violence. This is just part of the stigma here. My mother was systematically rejected all the way through up until her death. Uh, We've seen how uh, malicious they they can be. I mean, they will shut you down when you try to go and approach them and talk to them. They will embarrass you. They will play you, okay, Mm -hmm. like they played me, okay, because they really don't care. They don't care for for the victims. And I'm not the only person to be saying any of this. I'm not the only person that has lost a family member that says, hey, look, you guys aren't doing your job here. Uh, when when you have so much blind support, you know, it, it messages, the messages get lost. Ruben, you said. And Jay, can I ask something just really quick? I know you have a question. Yeah. No, I go, just want no, to say for it. Go for it. The, the point that Julio makes is so valid. I want everyone to erase 
um, personalities and individuals from when you paint this picture. We're talking about a systemic breakdown, right? This unjust and unfair, and it leaves a lot of people in this city unprotected. So I don't want, because you have a good relationship with an elected official or you have an uncle who's a police officer, I don't I don't want us to have that conversation about how great individuals are that are participants in this system. I want us to really look at what are the systemic breakdowns that need to be addressed and corrected so that people like Ms. Gladys aren't continue to be victimized and families like Julio's don't continue to have to suffer through this kind of uh, tragedy. Ruben, you said something earlier and we'll wrap it with this. We both want the same thing. It sounds like you two have in just this conversation here, there's been a point where the Venn diagram has kind of run into each other. I'm the son of a Detroit police officer myself. I totally understand the importance of having good law enforcement, good relationships with law enforcement in neighborhoods, but there's also a lot that needs to change. I will ask the each of you and I'll start with, I'll start with you, Ruben. When you say that we both want the same thing, what is a way that they can kind of bridge this gap with each other? Because this does seem to have a very schoolyard, it's your fault, no, it's your fault mentality. Dialogue. Let's talk. You know, if we work together, we can win. And Julio. Well, look, you, you need to just have a strong moral compass. I mean, you cannot put on full display your disrespect to morality. I mean, when, when you do that, you, you are flawed and you can't serve you are unfit to serve in law enforcement when you're doing good in one area, but you're causing disasters in another, this job may not be for you. Okay. And when you cannot over time, when you prove that you cannot have this cohesiveness with those that you should be working with, then you have to step aside. The city is too complex. There's, there's too many dangers here. Ruben Jones. From Frontline Dads and Julio Moran Jr., the son of Gladys Coriano, who unfortunately lost her life in an episode of domestic violence. For one, thoughts and prayers are with your family, Julio. Both of you, thank you so much for coming on Flashpoint with us. If you're considering home care for yourself or a loved one, Patriot Home Care makes it easy with a caring and compassionate staff. Don't be overwhelmed by all the choices. Let Patriot Home Care help. Patriot Home Care is growing with offices throughout Philadelphia and now in Delaware. Patriot is accepting caregivers and new clients virtually as well. At Patriot, you will love what you do and feel rewarded by taking care of people who need your help. Patriot also offers some of the area's best pay, benefits, and a $600 sign-on bonus to new caregivers. Visit PatriotHomeCare.org. The Philly Rising Changemaker of the Week is presented by Patriot Home Care. Recently, Southwest Philadelphia has gotten a lot of attention for gun violence in the area. Unfortunately, we get caught in the crossfire. Then it looks like the community isn't doing anything. The community needs some protection first. Particularly the block Miss Phyllis Walker lives on. We're a family in these communities. She doesn't want her neighborhood defined by the violence. We are a family. We know each other's names. We know Miss Doris. We know Miss Catherine. We know Barbara. You don't know them. We know their needs. 
For decades, Walker and her neighbors have been working to improve the neighborhood. The City of Philadelphia retiree says from hosting block cleanups to community watch programs, their tight-knit community has been engaged. I didn't do it alone. I've reached across the board to other leaders, and we walked those streets late at night. That one person commanded in safety while the rest of us walked the streets and patrolled the streets. That's what we did. 20 years ago, she even appeared in front of a committee of Philadelphia police and then-DA Lynn Abraham, speaking out about about the crime and begging for resources. I want the people in King Sessions to know that we are great people. We are hardworking people and we are holding it down. And we are doing it better than most. She's too humble to take credit. I've been called ward leader, a committee person, a leader, everything. But actually, I'm just a homeowner that cares. But Walker has used her knowledge to educate her neighbors and help bridge them and local government. The community only have a relationship with who they can see. So if I can't see you, then I don't know you exist. And if I don't know you exist, I can't receive the gifts you have from me. She's become a matriarchal figure in her community. The greatest thing someone ever said to me, they call him Butter. And he came up to me and he, I was coming around the corner and he grabbed my hand and he was walking, he was rocking my hand back and forth. And he looked in my face and he said, Miss Phyllis, I promise you, he said, I know we were hard on you when we were little and we gave you trouble. He said, but the truth of the matter is, you were probably the only mother that any of us ever knew. That right there gave me the will to say I can go forward. Walker was hoping to pass the baton on her community activism after retirement, but fighting for civil rights is in her blood. And she says the love she has for her neighbors keeps her going. Every time I wanted to stop, somebody would come and say, I believe in you. I can't stop now. I got I to keep going. So that's why I fight, but mostly because I love them. And that's it for Flashpoint. I'm Jay Scott Smith, hoping you have a great Memorial Day weekend. Take care of yourself. God bless. Always dare to be different. And remember that hope is not a strategy. Flashpoint is a production of KYW News Radio 1039 FM. For more, go to KYWnewsradio.com slash Flashpoint and subscribe to the Flashpoint podcast wherever you get your shows. Presented by the Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives.